Hello and welcome to Passive Attack, the Asset First podcast. Steve, a lot's happened since we we last did one of these recordings and things going on at the moment, of course, as we're seeing the disruptions to the um, supply chains and we've got exorbitantly high energy prices, which have just rocketed um, in recent weeks. The view for people who are trying to take a calmer view of what's going on is to say that these are transitory glitches um, as, we, as we're recovering from the uh, exceptional circumstances of the pandemic. Are they transitory or are they um, a source of some, some deep, deeper um, problems that we've got in the economy? Well, my instinct is to say that they're transitory. One of the reasons for that is that we have just been through this uh, incredible dislocation. Um, the policy response to the pandemic, uh, the pandemic itself, uh, all, all kinds of things. And it'll take some time for those dislocations to move through the system. Uh, we're in the sort of, you know, we've had an earthquake and we're in the aftershock phase. Um, some things have changed for good, or almost certainly, but the broad sweep is that most of them are transit. A lot, a, lot, a lot of these are market signals. You know, inflation is a market signal or an example of a market signal which, which suggests that um, there's too much demand for a certain good that isn't being supplied in, in quite the quantities needed. And the market is, is, is capable of, of solving those problems. That's, I mean, you know, that, that, that's why we have markets. On the subject of inflation, one of the biggest, most popular economic Google searches right now, I understand, is uh, people searching for the meaning of stagflation which I could vaguely remember from A-level economics, and I don't think I've really encountered it since. How likely is stagflation going to be an issue for us? So I don't know that we will not experience stagflation. But from my perspective right now, describing what is likely ahead of us as stagflation, I think is hysterical. We may be experiencing above-target inflation. We likely are experiencing high growth rates this year and perhaps high growth rates next year. So stagflation is, there's two parts of that. There's the flation bit, which is inflation. So with stagflation, you have high inflation. The stag is economic stagnant uh, uh, growth. So this is all about the GDP aspect. So stagflation, really, you would, you would expect to see GDP growth, which is either negative or very, very low, or close to negative with high inflation and that's a it's a horrible economic condition we do a fair bit of um, scenario planning so you know we'll design portfolios and then we'll say okay what happens if we go through various scenarios and the worst scenario I can think of from a portfolio perspective is a stagflationary one it's this high inflation low growth environment and it's a really it's it's horrid it's also a fairly low uh, low frequency event you know stagflationary periods tend to be uh, fairly rare so that's not to say that we won't see one, but it seems to me that people talking about stagflation at this moment in time are, what they're saying is that inflation is high, you know, 5% or so in the US, uh, approaching 4% in the UK for sure. That's high inflation. And, you know, what we're seeing is, is particularly in the US, you're seeing economic growth slow down from the period of very high growth. Uh, as it recovered, the US economy has already recovered um, what it lost in the aftermath of the um, of the pandemic. Um, so, you know, GDP growth rates are slowing as we speak. That's not stagflation. That's, you know, that's GDP growth rates coming from the very, very high levels uh, that we've seen back to more normal levels um, and high inflation persistence. So I'm not saying we won't see, you know, because don't rule anything out. 
Uh, it's possible that some of the some of the occurrences today might bring on a period of stagflation. It's possible. It's not a high probability in my view. And describing what we're currently seeing as stagflation is uh, it makes no sense to me. The one thing that does I think make sense is that whether it's in one month or five months, um, we've got the start of a, a series of rising interest rates coming in. How high do you think they're going to go in this um, uh, cycle? And how quickly do you think they'll get to that those high levels? I think if you'd asked me that 20 days ago, I'd have given you a different answer. Uh, I, in fact, something I wrote 10 days ago, I'm updating today. So it's um, this is a fast-moving scenario. And the reason, the reason what I'm saying is changing is because... I don't necessarily want to make a prediction uh, in isolation. What I want to do is look at where the markets are, what what conditions are the markets pricing in, and then I want to uh, ascertain, you know, do I feel that that's an accurate, reasonable assumption to take? So it's the differences between what I think is reasonable and what the markets are, are pricing in. That's that's really what I'm trying to do. So obviously, there's two moving parts there. One is what the market's doing, and and the second is my uh, my understanding of the data too, as, as new data comes in. So here's the thing about the interest rate move. It's really tricky. The market's having a problem with it at the moment because there's no January meeting scheduled in the monetary policy committee dates. Um, so the market is sort of, if there was a January meeting, I think the market would be saying it's a January rate rise, you know, from 0.1 to 0.25, but there's no January meeting. So it's going to be February or Odds are now on the December meeting. So there's all kinds of interesting aspects to that. But it looks likely to me that they'll go from 0.1 to 0.25, quite possibly December. If not December, then certainly February. Uh, and then, like you said, the question then is to what extent do they raise rates? At this moment in time, the market expects the Bank of England to get to 75 basis points, so 100 basis points, so 0.75% or 1%. Expects it to get there you know, quickish within the space of a year, a little bit over a year, perhaps, certainly to 0.75 by the end of next year, possibly to 1%. But thereafter, the market doesn't really see any more interest rate hikes on the horizon. So each of those chunks will be 25 basis point chunks, apart from the first one, by the way, you know, I don't think we're looking at a 50 basis point um, rate rise coming anytime soon. So, so So the market sort of profile is that, yeah, Interest rate rises are going to occur fairly soon. And 50 basis points is definitely baked into the cake. 75 basis points is probably baked into the cake and maybe 100 within the space of a little over a year. And then nothing. Um, You know, we can see how the market's pricing interest rates up to the five-year horizon reasonably well anyway. And even at the five-year horizon, it's still at 100 basis points. So um, there are, it's, a, it's a short, sharp response, uh, but it's not, it's not a series of sustained, ongoing interest rate rises that take us to anything that, you know, us older folk might consider normal. So the policy response is not to kill off this short-term inflation that we've got, because that would kill off the economy, and um, an assumption that inflation rates will come back down to, towards target. Uh, yeah, probably I mean, still a bit above. But. Exactly. That that's the. I mean, my view is that sort of you know, US UK inflation is going to trend somewhere between two two and a half in the medium term. So I think that's where I expect, which is above target. But um, 
you know, it's not out of hand. That's not a high inflationary environment, sort of moderate inflationary environment. But yeah, I mean, th- this is the, the <laughs> there is some inflation that the bank can do some things about, and there's some inflation that the bank cannot do things about. So, for example, gas prices, oil prices. You know, to what effect is a raise, uh, a, a hike in, in UK interest rates going to going to affect that? I mean, you might argue that it might affect the exchange rate and and, and therefore the sort of sterling base price of these commodities, but it's not going to make that much of a difference. So, so the, the so the bank really wants to send out a signal to say to people that you know it's taking the threats from inflation um, seriously. Uh, it wants to remain credible in people's minds in its ability to fight inflation. So, I think this is a signal. I don't, I don't think the Bank of England expects, um, you know, a, a few short uh, interest rate rises to, to seriously affect um, the long run. I was looking at the uh, the CPI basket, and I think the the biggest, apart from uh, gas prices, the the, the, the biggest um, inflation at the moment is coming from uh, restaurants and hotels. This basket is presumably um, it's weight. It's not an equally weighted basket, is it? So, no. Uh, no, so it's a, probably actually a very small hit coming from restaurants. It's all coming from um, commodities principally right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is true. To, to give the, the inflation hawks their, their due, it is, it, it, we are experiencing inflation, which is fairly broadly based. But yes, uh, it, a big proportion of the current month is, is um, uh, those services rises that, that, that you mentioned. And, you know, a lot of those is base effects and, and, and things like that because there was the, what was it called, the uh, uh, eat out to help out schemes, things like that were around about this time last year and, and, and they make a big difference. And then we've had some tax raises as well. So here's the thing about inflation, right? It, it is definitely true to say that a lot of the causes of the current high rate of inflation are transitory. Um, and I think what some people like me, uh, 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 others like me, I think one of the mistakes that they make is that they they say, okay, the current causes of inflation are transitory, therefore uh, high inflation is transitory. But of course, the current causes, which are transitory, could be replaced by other transitory uh, aspects, You know, which mean that inflation is sustained at a slightly higher rate than, than, than we anticipated. So uh, I think that's the sort of territory we're, we've entered into. Looking now at the global business cycle, certainly we've been through a a rapid recovery. Um, are we now out of the recovery or transitioning out of it? Where, where is the cycle sitting right now, do you think? Well, there are, of course, cycles in cycles. But uh, I mean, the, the, I think the, the broadest answer I can give on this is that we've moved into a new expansion phase. I think, you know, broadly speaking, if you look at, if you look at global growth, which, of course, is dominated, dominated by the US, dominated by China, you know, even Japan is still a very large um, uh, part of that. And the European Union, we are very likely fully recovered and moving into the new expansion phase. And in the light of that, thinking first about our bond um, strategy, which areas do we favour and which which areas do we want to avoid on bonds at this at this stage? So classically, what we'd be doing is shortening our duration. Um, so we always hold government bonds. We hold government bonds for lots of reasons that we've touched on for lots of lots of times. But we would shorten our duration inside government bonds. What that means is that we we will try and mitigate some of the interest rate risks. So raises in in longer term interest rates, medium term interest rates, they they have less of an effect in terms of capital values. So we shorten our duration on the government bond side and we increase our credit risk on the uh, on the corporate bond side. So you know we, we would favour high yield bonds, floating rate notes, those kind of things. 
Uh, so it's a sort of dual strategy, I guess. So that classically, that's what we would do. You might increase your exposure to index-linked or inflation-protected securities to uh, to some extent, but um, I'm less of an advocate right now. That you know there are differences to the sort of blueprint that we would normally follow. Things are never equal, if you see what I mean. But um, broadly speaking, that's what we do. So it's, it's not dissimilar to the position we were taking through the recovery. And then I presume the next thing after um, expansion is we, 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 we come into, a, into a, a slowdown. And that's perhaps when we try and revert to the norm of, of holding um, medium long term fixed interest. Yeah, I mean, and, and that sort of uh, happens naturally. I mean, it, it may be that a slowdown comes out of, uh, out of nowhere and, and, and strikes um, sooner than we anticipate. But you, you know, what I'm hoping is that as longer term interest rates rise, naturally they become an easier place to invest uh, so we'll we'll increase our exposure to gilts to us treasuries as yields in those securities rise uh, and that naturally uh, ought to occur as and when the slowdown you know before as, as the expansion matures interest rates uh, go higher and uh, we have greater exposure in in, in government bonds and then um, thinking again about the strategy for equity exposure at this stage, the last significant change we made was was right at the start of recovery when um, we, we moved to a, a more sort of UK mid-cap exposure, which has done us very well. Is there any, any changes afoot, do you think, at, at this stage? So, yeah, I mean, there will be as, as the expansion matures. I mean, for the time being, um, I'm fairly happy where we are. I mean, it's... it's it, it, from an equity perspective, valuations are, are, are pretty rich everywhere, elevated, I would, I would suggest. And that much is true of the UK market as well, but it's far less pronounced in the UK. So from a valuation perspective, I find UK equities really quite, really quite attractive. I mean, classically, there are some other markets that we would expect to outperform the UK market during the space of the business cycle. But um uh, but again, you know, nothing's equal. Those, that, that valuation differential is really quite appealing to me. I did spot on one of your um, charts the um, Schiller P ratio in, in the US. It's now higher than it was in 1929 um, or 1928, and it's um, approaching the all-time highs of 1999. Shall we run to the hills? Uh, I think the thing to remember is that, that the markets don't fall because valuations are high. If you followed, if, if you selected a PE level and used that as a as a sort of trading guide, um, you, you would find yourself uh, with some pretty disappointing returns, I think. So it, it's one of the inputs. It's one of the things we look at. Uh, we're aware that valuations, uh, uh, and this is a valuation on one particular metric, but but it's also true of other valuation metrics that we look at, that, that you know, like I said, valuations are elevated. And uh, the Schiller PE ratio is... is higher than it's been on on some you know none of those dates you mentioned are auspicious dates for investors so um yeah we're, we're aware of it but you know there has to be uh, there has to be other reasons for equity markets again this is where we come back to the lexicon of market declines right you can get a 10 percent decline in the equity markets and that's you know that's neither here nor there we expect that to happen with with sort of annual frequency you know we expect at least one period of sort of turbulence that maybe means that the price is correct 10 percent you know, even a twenty percent decline in asset prices is, um, is is really quite frequent. What we're looking out for are, are the big thirty, forty, or fifty percent declines in equity markets. Those are the ones that were that really concern our analysis. Um, and um, you really need another 
there has to be a fundamental reason that falls of those those magnitudes um, and that's what we're looking out for we, we can't see that at this moment in time so but that's not to rule out a 10 percent decline or even a 20 percent decline um, but you know to, to to see the markets really uh, uh, really fall to the to the levels I've, I've just discussed you, there needs to be another more fundamental reason for that markets don't fall because valuations are, are high. I've also noticed that the uh, the VIX measure of volatility in the market has um, it's really dropped. It's down to about 16 now, which is the lowest it's been for a couple of years. Does that show that everybody's quite content with the condition we're in, or, or, or is, there, is there perhaps some complacency there at these levels? Well, the, we've just been through a, a period of fairly rapid adjustment as far as the fixed income markets are concerned. So, you know, the, those when I talked about the Bank of England's likely shifts, you know, like I said, if you'd have asked me a Three weeks, four weeks ago, I'd have said, OK, uh, I reckon the middle of next year is when the, the rate rise is going to come. But that's that that's really shifted quite rapidly. And that inspires a bit of volatility. So that's the UK market. But more broad, you know, globally, uh, level of volatility that you're likely to see, and especially in the VIX, you're really looking at the, the UK monetary policy that's having an impact there. So words like tapering, things like that, all of these add to a bit of volatility. So I, I expect I expect we're moving into a, a sort of era where volatility is a little bit higher than that, which we've got used to. And, you know, the reason for that is that I think we've underestimated how the impact that various monetary policy tools um, have had on, on markets. So forward guidance, for example, is the one I'm thinking about most most specifically. So forward guidance is that the central banks say, OK, interest rates are uh, going to be held uh, at uh, uh, whatever rate they're at at this moment in time until such and such conditions have been met. And that drives out a lot of volatility because you know that the rate of interest at the next meeting isn't going to change, maybe not even after that one. Because a, a lot of the, you know, they'll say well, interest rates are going to remain where they are for the foreseeable future, for example. That's what central bankers might say. Uh, so that drives out a lot of volatility in exchange rates, which feeds into a lot of volatility in equity markets and things like that. But now we're seeing the return, you know, forward guidance as a policy tool is, is on its, on the way. And it's, I mean, it's gone completely in the UK uh, and it'll likely, uh, well, it'll likely disappear in the US or at least the conditions that they've laid out in their forward guidance have, you know, you could say they've been met by now. So the, the forward guidance aspect of, of monetary policy is... Um, is is on the wane and, and that ought to translate or at least it makes sense in my mind that that translates to slightly higher higher volatility moving forwards so this month our main message is really one of don't panic and when we say don't panic we mean it in a sort of well a don't panic kind of way and not the panic way that uh, the uk government's advice on petrol shortages was was um, construed by the uk public we really think there is uh, no particular threats on the significant downside for the markets. Uh, the press is certainly awash with sensational stories about energy prices and stagflation um, and impending stock market crashes. But we see no fundamental reason for long-term investors to de-risk their portfolios at this stage. Thanks for listening, and I hope you found this useful. Until next time, goodbye.